When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zipline through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the very first Menas Masterclass for 2023. And in this episode, I am joined by former Australian batter Phil Jakes. Phil rose through the ranks to burst into the New South Wales side as a powerful and punchy left-hand batter. Due to Hayden and Langer's imposing opening partnership record, he had limited opportunities at the highest level, but made his test debut in late 2005. Phil finished with an envious test and first-class record, averaging 47 at test level and 48 at first-class level. In 19 test innings, Phil passed 59 times with three centuries. Phil was recently the New South Wales coach from 2018 to 2022 and is now running the Phil Jakes Pro Cricket Academy, which runs uh, private clinics and holiday camps in Sydney. And if you are interested in some of Phil's coaching, the links to that uh, academy are in the episode notes. Now, Phil, welcome to the podcast. How are you? How are you, Menace? How are you, listeners? Yeah, I'm doing really well. Um, you know, so I really want to go back through your career and sort of so many great moments, but you know, I kind of want to start at the end and 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 work back. You know, you retired from Australian cricket at the age of thirty-two, and it was was it was it a back injury that in the end sort of made you sort of bow out a little earlier than some? Yeah, I had a um, really serious back injury where I ended up having three surgeries, had a, a disc replacement in my back, um, and two sort of failed attempts, I guess, to fix that prior to that. Um, I did get back playing and, and end up having three seasons in county cricket at the back end of my career. Um, but after the rehab that I had, I, I, I really didn't see uh, any opportunities at Australian level. Um, you know, the Australian selectors at the time were picking quite young. They weren't picking older players. Um, and I felt like I needed a challenge at that point. And, um, and I wanted to go back and, and really enjoy my cricket and, um, and see, um, you know, see a little bit more of the world. And um, there was an opportunity to go and 
to go and mentor a few younger players in England uh, at Yorkshire at, at the time. Um, Joe Root was coming through at Yorkshire and Gary Balance and Johnny Bairstow, um, just to name a few. Um, so it was a really exciting opportunity to work uh, under Jason Gillespie as a coach, develop my coaching while I was still playing and then um, be able to to do uh, club coaching in Australia in, this, in the Australian summer so I could actually get some experience in coaching before I finished playing. Um, I felt like I had probably about three years left in me at, the, at that time and um, – you know, the back was starting to, you know, make things quite uncomfortable. Even even after it was fixed, you know, it wasn't overly pleasurable playing cricket at that point. Um, no, really? So, um, so yeah, just decided to to go and enjoy the last few years that I was playing, um, you know, in county cricket. Just play four-day cricket, really. Played a little bit of one-day cricket, but not very much. Um, and, um, yeah, and just be able to really focus on first-class cricket and uh, – you know, and, and be able to contribute a little bit off the park as well. That's a shame about the the, the back. It's a, it's a bit like Michael Clark. You know, he was really uncomfortable at the end of his career. And um, I guess then, you know, how sort of frustrating was it that you know you'd you'd been in such good form, Justin Langer and you know, Matty Hayden, are sort of coming to the end of their career, and and then you kind of back goes. You know, how did you sort of come to terms with that? Yeah, well, I played for most of my Australian career with a bit of a back uh, problem that I had to manage um, anyway, and it was a day-to-day thing. Um, you know, I was getting up at uh, you know five thirty every morning to try and get my back ready to go, especially at the end of my Australian career. Um, and you know that that was it was sort of taking me for you know three or four hours to get moving in the morning, um, wow. which wasn't overly enjoyable. But um, but when you when you work so hard to get to that level, you want that opportunity and you want to stay there for as long as you can. And um, I wish I'd kind of done a, a few of the things that I did um, when I had my back injury a little bit earlier so I didn't get the back injury. Um, but, um, you know, it's one of those things that you, you sort of learn and um, along the way. Um, but, yeah, very fr- it was frustrating. Um you know, to, to sort of be behind two really champion players, you know, who did such a great job for Australia. You couldn't begrudge them their position, but it was disappointing, I guess, to to be knocking the door down and then still not be able to get an opportunity. And then I do actually get an opportunity and and um, and I lose that because of the fact that I was injured at the time. Um, there were some really good players around at the time as well who were in great form and it was an easy selection to make really for the selectors to, to pick someone that was 100% fit rather than someone that was, I guess, 80, 85% fit. Yeah, part of the problem, Phil, was he spent so much time out in the middle piling up the runs um, all over the place. No wonder your back was a bit sore. Uh, so you, you had an uh, – parents are English, is that right? So you had an English passport? Yeah, mum and dad were both English. Dad was from Sheffield and mum was from Manchester. Um, they moved out in the late 1960s. Uh, to sort of forge a forge a new life out in Australia and ten pound um, poms? No, they weren't actually. They were. Uh, Dad was headhunted by BHP. Uh, okay. He was a metallurgist um, and came out and um, came out and got a job in Port Kembla and and, and I grew up in Wollongong down there. Uh, that was sort of where I had my childhood for you know the first 18, 19 years of my life. Um, and um, yeah, like yeah, they had. I, I got a British passport as a result of of them obviously being English. And when you were growing up in Wollongong, was it sort of that typical Aussie experience, you know, down at the beach, playing cricket? I don't know, did you play footy in the winter? Was that kind of the vibe? 
Yeah, I played a little bit of footy at school, but I was mainly um, I was mainly into my basketball. I was a bit of I was a rep basketball player when I was younger yeah, until right. I stopped growing, um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> everyone started to grow about three feet taller than me. Um, uh, played a bit of tennis as a kid, um, and yeah, um, and cricket. Cricket was always my thing. Um, yeah, you know, I'd, I I wasn't a, it wasn't an overly cricket family. My dad did play cricket, but you know, he wasn't overly into cricket. He was more into his into his uh, soccer, uh, which I played as a youngster as well. Um, and um, yeah, and then I got into cricket because my friends played it, and uh, yeah, just sort of yeah enjoyed enjoyed my childhood. I guess just um, you know in fig tree uh, growing up, sort of up in the hills, up in fig tree, and yeah, like we we used to make our own fun up there. We went go to the beach every now and then, um, but you know there was obviously some really nice nice landscape and countryside around there too. Them. You know, we sort of played with played with the local kids in the area and made our own fun, making tree houses as all kids do. And so, did yeah, you sort of realise around that age that you you know you're pretty good at this batting thing when you started to sort of playing you know games in your teenage years? Did it sort of you know really start to click in then? Yeah, I was um I, I was always a decent player. Um, you know, I played played year up in in rep cricket. The first couple of years I played, um, and then. You know, sort of in my own age, I was the captain of the team and worked my way through the ranks there. But I was always a bit—I was always a bit of a slogger, to be honest. <laughs> up right. until I, um, up until I kind of, um, you know, sort of got a little bit of coaching and, um, you know, I forgot called Anthony Maguire, who was a second eleven player in New South Wales, and he was from Wollongong originally, and um, I hooked up with him for for a couple of years, and you know, he sort of taught me taught me the basics of. You know, how to keep the ball on the ground, basically, um, and then I sort of honed my craft as I got into Sydney ranks and um, and uh, yeah, sort of learned how I how I best went about it. Um, you know, with my with my game, um, along with the help of a lot of good people at Sutherland Cricket Club. Yeah, so you bashed the door down and you you made your way into the New South Wales side. I think in the 2001, 2000, 2001 season, um, and. It, and, you know, when you went into that side, I mean, it was a great era of New South Wales cricket. You know, you, you still had the War Brothers, Lee, McGrath, um, you know, McGill and Clark were in the 11. You made your debut in. I guess, you know, what was it like, you know, stepping up from grey cricket into that sort of star-studded blues lineup? Yeah, incredibly, um, incredibly strong team. And, you know, like I, I think a few years prior, I had, I had those guys on my wall. You know, you're bumping into... <laughs> Uh, guys like Steve War, um, you know, Steve War was my captain for a year, and he was he was one of the guys I looked up to as a kid. And you know, Mark Taylor was around the hallways every now and then, and um, you know, he wasn't playing at that point, but he was still around, and he was another one of my idols. And yeah, you're just playing with these guys that you see playing on TV, and um, yeah, it's a bit surreal, really, when you first start playing at um, at that level, but um, and a little bit daunting as well. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, you always okay. have that question mark whether you feel like you're up to it or not, and you just want to make an impression and show how good you are. And um, you know, I, I was sort of a, took me a while to get established in the New South Wales side. I think I played played one game at the end of that year, and and then you know I was caught up morning of the game on that in that game on my debut and batted at number ten. Um, what was that like? uh, so? You just like flew up there that morning and sort of get off yeah. the plane and straight to the ground. Yeah, I was living in Wollongong at the time as well, so I had to drive up the F6 as well on the morning to get to the airport. Um, basically, 
um, yeah, jumped on a plane and I didn't get there until lunchtime because um, they, they, they didn't take like, – they only took 12 players at a point and they had a, a spin bowler at the Gabba as their 12th man. And, um, Silly. And uh, one of the batters went down morning of the game with, with Gastro. So I think it was Shane Lee, I think. Um, so, yeah, I had to – I had to come in the, into the team because they needed a batsman. And, um, yeah, so uh, I think we got, I got there and we were eight for 60 on the morning. So I went straight out at lunchtime at, and we were eight down batting at number 10, which was um, a new, definitely a new position for me. I don't think I'd ever batted 10 before. Um, and, um, yeah, then I opened in the second innings of that game. But, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, a bit it was a bit uh, chaotic, I'm not going to lie. I got dropped off at the wrong entrance uh, to the ground. I had to walk all the way around the Gabba and, and I, knew, I was listening to the game on the radio coming from the airport and I, I was just hearing wicket after wicket fall and I was like, I'm not going to get a bat here because <laughs> um, we were in a bit of a, in a, bit of a collapse and, um, yeah, ended up, ended up getting um, – I think I got 40, I think, on, on debut. And, um, and yeah, and, uh, but I didn't get another opportunity until the last game of the next year and then um, didn't play again the following year. So I, I played two games in three years and – Sort of about that feeling of, well, am I good enough or not? What do they think of me? Do I need to move states or do I, you know, I'm just not going to make it? Um, but then was lucky to get an opportunity after after that to have a, a decent run at it. What was it then, do you think, that clicked for you at the top level? Like, when do you think you turned the corner? Well, I was making runs in second eleven cricket and doing quite well, but the, there just wasn't any opportunities. And um, I... You know, I'd, I'd started opening the batting. I, I'd always been a three or a four, but um, opened the batting for some more opportunities. And and then I was lucky enough to get an opportunity to go play county cricket at Northampton, which because uh, I had a British passport and I hadn't played the year before for New South Wales, um, I was eligible to play and they needed a, a batsman. And um, and I, I'd originally signed up to play league cricket I wasn't going to play county cricket, and then a chance, a chance, sort of meeting while I was coaching actually at an indoor centre. I was coaching some little kids. There was a guy from Northampton there, and he ended up hooking me up um, with uh, the CEO, and I'd signed that next night um, that evening. So, really, really chance meeting, um, and you know, a stroke of luck gave me the opportunity to go play county cricket, to then learn and play with with uh, Michael Hussey and um, under Kepler Vessels as the coach, who were wow. two really good left-hand players and, you know, really good education for me to learn how to how to make runs and make big scores. And um, I started to do that in county cricket. had a really dominant year in my first year over there. Got 1,400 and something runs um, at 60. And it made the people in New South Wales sort of stand up and take notice a little bit more. And um, and they, they gave me a ring and said, we're going to give you an opportunity to have a good run at it um, and pick you in the pick you in the team um, at the start of the season and at that point I had England uh, kind of pulling me one direction going well you know you can qualify in in another three years time or you can go back to Australia and have an opportunity with New South Wales and and potentially play for Australia um, that was that was kind of what I had and I felt like Australia was a mile away at that point because I'd only played two first class games and in Australia and didn't really feel like I was any any good, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and, um, you know, then I got a, an opportunity and took it. And um, then I was playing for Australia in 18 months after that. Right. And were you, were you at all tempted by the offer from England? I mean, um, knowing how strong the Australian side was at the time, you know, when you looked at the team, did you think, well, maybe England would be a better fit? 
I think career-wise, it, it it was definitely uh, an, an option. Um, you know, I had I, I had a county that wanted wanted to sign me long term. Um, at that point, I was year to year with New South Wales and unsure of whether, you know, where I really sat and where where I was going to get an opportunity. But I think the call from Steve Rickson that I got when I was overseas to say, "Hey, we're going to give you an opportunity to to establish yourself. I'm going to give you a really good run at it." was enough for me to say, well, I want to I want to truly back myself in here and if I can make it in New South Wales, then I can play for Australia. And if not, well, you know, that I'm just not good enough. And, um, you know, I think my heart always said Australia. Um, my head was leaning towards England just from a finance perspective and career perspective. But, um, you know, I, the heart took over and I really wanted to, to have a crack at playing for Australia and I had the right opportunity in New South Wales and it was up to me whether I took it or not. Are you still happy with the decision you made all these years later? Yeah, no regrets at all. Like to be able to wear the baggy green cap for one test for me was a dream come true and was something I'd, I'd always dreamt about, didn't think would happen. Um, you know, and I, I got to play 11 games in a really championship, in a champion team with some of the greats of the game. Um, had some had some really good success at that level and yeah, no regrets really. Um, you know, I, I still got to play nine years of county cricket um, and, um, you know, have a really decent career over there. And, um, you know, I, 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 I sort of always made a pact with myself that I'd have no regrets and no what-ifs in my life. I'd always just back myself in and, and then, uh, you know, live with regrets after that. And I, I felt like I did that. Oh, what a fantastic attitude. Um, yeah, you're wearing the three lines. I mean, that would be pretty tough. <laughs> It would be hard. I, I, I think I would have had a, a rash. It would never have gone away. <laughs> uh, uh, just a, a couple of things. On that um, experience of playing in England, you know, I often think, you know, something that's been lost is that, um, you know, a young Australian batter going over to England and playing league cricket or, or county cricket, if you're lucky enough to get a contract and kind of learning the craft of batting and scoring runs. And, you know, in English cricket, the conditions vary from week to week. You're playing all sorts of games. I, you know, I, I think it'd be great if more young players from Australia could get over there. Yeah, I think that's that's been the biggest change, I think, since I since I finished playing is is how hard it is now to get into county cricket. Um, they have softened it a little bit and letting big bash players to get over there um, if they play a certain amount of games. But the criteria is definitely harder to get into county cricket. Back in back in the my playing days, literally if the county wanted you, they could sign you. And, right. um, you know, so I think it, it kind of left it open to be able to play at whatever level, providing they, you know, they wanted you to play there. Um, I think... English cricket did that to kind of give their own players a few more opportunities. But, um, you know, when you're really talking about one or two players in a team, I think it makes the whole system stronger by having the better players playing. Um, and, yeah, it was certainly an unbelievable education to go and play in England. I played one season of club cricket over there as well when I was 18. Um, and then, obviously, nine years of county cricket. As you said, you just get to play on all conditions, all different weather types. Um, you know, the, the standard's strong. You know, and I think if you can learn how to bat on those wickets, you can learn how to bat on any wickets. And um, you know, it certainly makes you play, um, you know, a better a better game plan for longer. And I, th I think it is lost from our system. And I think, you know, the more players that can get over there and experience that and play regular week to week cricket, I think it's a bonus. They play a lot more cricket than what we play, 
um, in all conditions. And yeah, I think it just sets you up for success. And usually as well, if you're the Aussie going over there, there's an expectation you'll do well. So you also learn to deal with that pressure of being almost the pro and having to sort of live up to that. So I think, you know, it has been lost. Totally agree. Um, you mentioned before sort of, you know, playing with Mike Hussey and Kepler Vessels, and you mentioned, I think, Anthony Maguire, your coach. Before any other sort of really big influences or anyone, you know, sort of grab you when you went into the New South Wales side and sort of give you a few tips? Yeah, I had a guy called um, Martin Carroll who was uh, a guy at Sutherland that was, you know, like he was my my eyes when I played. Um, he's now actually working for my academy, which is which is um, unreal that we've sort of gone full circle. That he was sort of my mentor and my coach and helped me through uh, my playing days. And you know, he he was the sort of guy that whenever I was in town, he'd come and throw balls for free. Like I, I think I threw him a couple of couple of beers every now and then. And you know, he he really like he didn't want anything for it except for me to do well and um you know and I, I could never repay him enough for the time that he gave me and if it was just a simple phone call or throwing balls and I'm home he was always there um always really helped me um and and each spot whenever I was struggling a little bit and and would be able to fix it literally over the phone um I'd go and way work on it and um and then invariably scored runs after we'd spoken and he'd just get my head right and uh yeah, he was he was a massive influence, and as I said, it's fantastic that 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 um you know he can come and work for me now, and you know in my business, and we can you know help help the next generation of kids as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and I'll be back with more from Phil Jakes. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back to Menas Masterclass. I'm Menas, and I'm joined by former Australian batter Phil Jakes. All right, I want to talk about your your entry into the Australian side. That moment when you, you got the baggy green. So, uh, so you were called up into the Australian th- side in 2005 at the MCG Test against South Africa. Now, I'm gathering it wasn't the sort of rushed affair that your first class debut was. No, it was the longest week of my life, actually. <laughs> Really? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the the expectation is something that you can never really get your head around. Um, I felt like I, you know, was completely ready cricket wise. Um, mentally, I felt really strong. I was making runs. I was in good form. I scored about ten thousand first class runs at that point, and you know, it was a really good time to be picked. I think I was coming off four hundreds. I think um, in first class and one day cricket and. Um, if you're ever going to get picked, that's when you want to get picked for, you know, your, your debut. Um, but yeah, it was a long week. It was, you know, like the expectation that you, that you have when you come into a, a boxing day test and just the amount of eyes that are on you. I, I don't think I've ever trained in front of any more than about five people before. And, you know, you're training at the MCG and there's a thousand people watching, um, the nets, um, you know, and. <laughs> You know, you, you you might have a media interview with one or two people, you know, at, in a first class game. You know, they have scrums of thirty or forty at a Boxing Day. You know, where you, where they talk, everybody wants to talk to you, and it was just like 
you know, like this big expectation. And, you know, like the, the night before the game, I got a thousand text messages off people that, you know, pretty much everybody that I'd ever met in my life had texted wow. me because uh, I had the same number since I was 17. And, you know, like I think, you know, for those people, they just wanted to wish me luck. And, you know, for me, it was just like you're just hearing this ding coming in all the time. And it's like, wow, okay. Like I knew they were watching and I knew people would be out there watching, but like it's literally everyone I know has yeah, <laughs> texted me today. And, um, yeah, and then, yeah, so like getting your head around that, trying to get some sleep, calm yourself down. Like I don't think I slept much through that week. Um, it was a bit of a blur really. And I think everybody that, that's debuted for Australia, I think would probably say something similar. But, um, you know, it probably took me a couple of tests, I think, to really – get my head around that um but yeah like an unbelievable experience Seventy-seven thousand people that at the mcg um you know facing the first ball of a test match it was yeah it was insanely good great rush um you know and really good memories so was it justin langer you were replacing was he injured or was it haydos yeah justin langer yeah so he walked yep. out with the big the big queenslander hayden to open the batting uh, wow what, what a day um so you know, you come into that side, you know, Ponting's the skipper. You know, so, so I guess for those listening, I mean, it's after the 2005 Ashes. Uh, it was a big summer. I think just before that, Australia had, or was leading into a World Test Championship final or a World Eleven. So there was a bit going on. Um, you So you come into Ponting's team, you know, I guess, I, I think I read you didn't even, had, had never met Ricky until you went in there. You know, I mean, what's it like you walk in and it's, you know, you mentioned the, New South Wales side, but this is like, okay, now it's really like everywhere you look, there's a, you know, a legend of the game. Yeah, um, insanely good team. I think they were, you know, in the midst of a record run at that point um, of wins as well. Um, yeah, very daunting. Hadn't met too many people. Um, it was Christmas time, so everyone had their families there. I was kind of on my own a little bit. Um had that feeling, yeah, that feeling of, well, this isn't really my team. And mm. I didn't feel that sort of for a little while. Um, but you just try and come in and be yourself and, you know, be the best version of you and try and help the team win. And, um, you know, I didn't have the most successful first test, but um, but it was, yeah, it was still a, a great experience and unbelievable team to play with, you know, like playing, playing with the great Shane Warne. Um, you know, experiencing Christmas Eve at his place was um, was pretty pretty epic as well. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. It's been it was quite a famous thing, um, but yeah, like just just unbelievable memories, really. Tell me a little bit about Ricky Ponting as a skipper, because you know one thing that I think that doesn't maybe permeate outside the Australian team was how much he was kind of the heart and soul of that team for so long. Um, just give me a bit of an insight on what it was like playing under him and with him. Yeah, unbelievable leader. Um, you know, he was a pure winner. He just, you know, there was an expectation of winning and the expectation of getting the job done under Ricky. And he he completely held everybody to account and, um, and to the standards that were expected of the Australian cricket team. And that was probably the thing that stood out to me the most was, was that, um, you know, that the expectation, that everybody knew the expectation. Um, and it wasn't a fear thing. It was just like, you know, we're good enough and we're, you know, we're, we're going to expect to win uh, every time we walk on that park. And this is, you know, it's just what we do as an Australian cricket team. We, we just get the job done and we get, and we get the win. Um, you know, he was, 
he was an excellent, like a, an, an excellent um, captain as far as the knowledge that he brought. Um, you know, I think tactically he was really, really strong. Um, if you were struggling, he'd sense it. He'd come and have a chat with you. He'd come and have a um, take you out for coffee or have a um, you know spend a bit of time to get to know you. Um, yeah, really, really good leader. So you said your debut didn't debut was okay two and twenty eight, but it didn't didn't take you too long. At the end of November two thousand and seven, uh, you made your first Test century hundred against Sri Lanka. Must have been the culmination of you know all your childhood dreams coming true. Yeah, it was actually like it was it was an unbelievably special day, and I think I butchered a hundred in my second Test. Um, I was on about sixty six in Bangladesh in the test match that, that Jason Gillespie got 200. Um, and uh, I was batting with Jason at the time, and I remember walking off and just going, oh, I've thrown away 200 there, literally thrown <laughs> away 200. It was the flattest wicket of all time against a, an okay attack. Um, and I got out caught on the boundary at deep mid-wicket, absolute slog. It went back to my slogging days in Wollongong, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was really disappointed to miss out in that game because um, I felt like it was a chance to really establish myself and and potentially stay there. And um, and then I had to wait another year basically for my third opportunity. And when I got into that into that team, I was like, right, this is actually my spot now because Justin had retired and it was an opportunity to to really, um, you know, establish myself. And I, I wasn't – there was nothing in the world that was going to stop me getting 100 that day. I hadn't thought beyond 100 and I ended up butchering it after I got 100 and got out about four balls later, I think. Um, but, um, yeah, like I was so determined. I think I was 36 balls on zero um, at the Gabba on a, on a bit of a green green wicket. And there was just nothing in my mind saying that I, was, I wasn't worried about the fact that I hadn't scored a run. I was just like, I'm getting 100 today. I'm going to set this team up for, for a good result and, and establish myself in this team. And um, it was just probably the, probably the most single-minded innings I think I've ever been um, involved in as far as like I'm just going to get I'm going to get runs I'm going to do it my way and whatever it takes you know I'm going to get 100 um, and yeah it was it was an unbelievable feeling I was out there with with Mike Hussey at the time who I'd obviously played with at Northampton as well and incredibly special moment I, I don't remember too much about what I did I think I ran around with my arms in the air for about for about two minutes and um <laughs> And then um, I remember Mike, Mike giving me a massive cuddle and my helmet almost flipping around at the back. It was just like all over the place because we just tackled each other basically because <laughs> we were both really – he was happy for me and, and, and I was, you know, off over the moon to get 100. And as I said, I don't think I quite settled my emotions afterwards and threw it away not too long after. But, um, but yeah, unbelievable um, experience here. I love hearing that bloody mindedness that you just weren't going to get, you weren't, you're going to have to be carried off that. You were going to get a hundred. Um, but you know, you talk about sort of the spot being yours. Well, I mean, you nailed the spot because, you know, at one point you ran on, went on a run scoring six uh, scores over 50 at test level. Um, you know, so it's been done seven times by six people. So you're sort of tied seventh for that record. But, you know, that sort of consistency opening the batting is really hard to achieve. And as I said at the top, you know, you passed um, 59 times in 19 test innings. So, you know, you must be really satisfied with your returns in those 11 tests. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like I'd, 
got everything out of myself. Um, as I said, except for except for me throwing away my hundred <laughs> when I got on, when <laughs> I got my first hundred, um, and potentially the, the missed one in Bangladesh. Um, but uh, outside of that, yeah, like I, I felt like I I did I did my job for the team, um, and um, yeah, there were there's always you always look back as a batter and go, oh, yeah, you know, I could have made a few more here, or I could have made a few more there, and and potentially I could have. Um, but yeah, like the consistency level of of how many starts I got at that level and actually got in and um, and did a decent job for the team was rewarding and um, it was just good to show show people the how you know how I could play at that level. I, I felt like I, I could do it at that level. I felt like I'd been making runs for a long time and yeah, I I I think I sort of worked out mentally what I needed to do. Um, you know, after the first couple of games where I. Felt like I floundered a little bit. Um, I did a lot of work my with my sister, who was a who's a psychologist as well. Um, so um, we hadn't really spoken much about cricket up until up until that point, and and then I sort of leaned on her a little bit for some mental advice because I felt like I really needed I felt like I really needed it, and she yeah she was a massive help for me um, in uh, in being able to develop the skills to be able to block out that external noise and. And be able to to deal with the inner the inner voice that you know just chirps away in the background as you're batting because um, there's a lot of time in cricket and a lot of time to think and um, you know coming up with some decent strategies around that is you know is the key to to being successful I think. Well, that's really interesting that you sort of went down that path. I mean, was it that sort of as you said, was it sort of trying to come to grips with that extra you know tension at the top level? And also the extra doubt that comes with that. Yeah, I think it was just being able to to, to sort of control that expectation and control that noise, um, and just to get the absolute most out of myself. Um, I felt like I had, I could do it at that level, but I couldn't do it the way I was doing it. So I needed to I needed to have some strategies, and I shifted my preparation a little bit. Um, you know, with regards to how I prepared mentally for games, I, I shifted my training methods a little bit to be really focusing on how I start my innings and being calm when I walked out, um, you know, which was a, an adjustment of, you know, just spending 15, 20 minutes of checking in with myself and making sure that I was really calm and, and that, I'd, um, that I was clear on my plan. And, you know, like I think mornings sometimes you can get caught up in, in everything else rather than just what do you need to do to prepare. And, um, yeah, after I'd experienced... I suppose the rushing and the and the and the hustle bustle of Test cricket. I I worked out some pretty decent methods that worked for me. And um, every time I walked on the park from then on, I felt like I was going to score runs. And that's a nice place to be in because then it's on you rather than rather than the doubt or something getting in the way of you being able to perform. It was literally on your skill. It was the skill versus the bowler, and that was it. How lucky of uh, your your the people you're coaching now to be able to, for you to pass this on to them. Um. So in your test career, you know, you mentioned, I sort of looked through the tests you played. There was a few, a couple of famous ones. You mentioned the Dizzy 200 test match, uh, April 2006. I don't know. Is it like one of the high points of Australian cricket or you know, is it regrettable that now 17 years later, Dizzy will bring up that 200 at just every opportunity? <laughs> oh, I used to travel to travel to games with Dizzy when he was coaching at Yorkshire and, um, 
Geez, I heard I heard a lot of stories about the two hundred, and even though I was there, I still heard the <laughs> stories about the two hundred. Um, but it was it was an unbelievable um, an unbelievable innings, really. I, I don't think I don't think we'll ever see that again. Like you never say never in history, but like for a, a genuine tail end batter to get two hundred in a game is insane, really. Yeah, he had no um, shots. How did he? I still can't believe he scored that many runs. Yeah, like I mean, he was a hundred off over three hundred balls, and then his second hundred was a runner ball. It was insane, um, you know. Like he and, and as you said, he he didn't have any shots. He had a flick off his legs and a I, I don't even know what else. <laughs> yeah, really rubbing your nose at uh, you. You'd given away your innings at sixty six. Oh, to... it was a long. That was a long couple of days. I tell you, having having <laughs> sitting sitting down and already thinking I, I should have got two hundred, and then watching Dizzy, watching Dizzy go about it. Um, like Dizzy's a great mate, and it was unbelievable to watch. And you know, like you know, as I said, like he he wrote his history, and I don't think he'll be, I don't think you'll ever see a a guy get two hundred and then not play the next test as well, which is what happened with Dizzy. Um, unbelievable story, really. Um, and yeah, like uh, you know, unbelievable to be a part of it. Big regret, I reckon, Ponting sending in a night watchman. Um, and you also played in it's not such a, a fun test was the monkey gate test at the SCG in January 2008 so a famous victory by Australia Michael Clark taking three wickets at the end, end there but you know mired in controversy around allegations against against Harbhajan Singh what he allegedly said to Andrew Simons I mean you know that test has I don't know you know it's it's got some really dark connotations now with around you know around the way the sort of some of the players were treated afterwards I mean I guess what was that test like to play in it mustn't have been very pleasant No it was I was a little bit removed from from the actual chat on the on the field but I saw I saw there was quite a heated discussion on the on the ground and I remember walking past Matt Hayden and just saying mate what happened there and and he goes he he, he goes Harbhajan just called Andrew a monkey, and I was just like, "Oh wow, okay, um, that's not that's not great." Um, and you know, we're going to hear more about this. And the players were in the sheds. The, the players that actually heard it and they were around it were in the sheds until after one o'clock, and it was like day two of the game or something. So it was middle of the game, and they're they're in the change rooms until you know after midnight, um, which was less than ideal. Mm. And then you know, there was, you know, like threats of threats of the tour being cancelled and all these sort of things happening. Um, you know, you try to try not to let it distract you and try and just keep keep doing your job. But um, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that went on, I think, behind the scenes that um, you know that did did leave a sour taste in in a lot of those players' uh, mouths. I think. Um, but yeah, as you said, it was an unbelievable test match. It was a you know like I I think Michael Clark got given you know he got thrown the ball as an absolute. Hail Mary played by Ricky, really. Um, the game is going nowhere. It looks like it was peeding out to a draw and it was like last chance. All right, have a go, pup. Um, and then he goes and gets three wickets. Three wickets, really quick fire, and we win the test match. And um, I, I remember getting – remember there was criticism about about us celebrating that test match on the field as well at the time because it felt like we won the World Cup. It really did, like actually being a part of it because we, we felt like we were no chance – and then all of a sudden we won this test match and, you know, um, all the emotions of the, the last four days, five days, just all hit, you know, hit everybody, I think. And it was just such a, a, a good moment as far as, um, you know, from a team perspective to win a test match like that. And then we copped criticism in the media for that as well. And, 
it was just, um, you know, it was one of those things where we felt like, you know, we couldn't do anything right at that point um, as a team. And, um, you know, I think it potentially a little bit of tall poppy syndrome, I think, um, with Australian, you know, the Australian public and Australian media, maybe, I don't know. Maybe maybe we did carry on a bit. I don't know. But it, it felt like it felt like we just won a, an unbelievable test match and um, we celebrated it accordingly, you know. I think it was Peter Roback at the time called for Ricky Ponting to be sacked as Australian skipper. Well, yeah, well, what a test match to play in. Um, I always remember Andrew Simons, the, you know, the late great Andrew Simons, 160-odd in that match, a brilliant innings. Um, I think he got a bit of a, a lucky one where he might have edged one and given not out, and it seemed to rub up the Indians the wrong way. But, uh, yeah, great win. You, you mentioned Michael Clark, another one of, you know, I asked you about Ponting before, but Clark, a, you know, great leader, great batter, someone, you know, you would have played with it hell of a lot. Um, but also in a bit of an enigma, like, you know, all I've gleaned is honestly that maybe he's a little bit more self-obsessed than some other cricketers at the time. Um, you know, what, what was he like to play with? Uh, Michael was an unbelievable talent, um, great batsman. Uh, I didn't really play under him much as a leader, um, so I'm I'm not really sure how he how he was from a from a captaincy perspective. But um, you know he, he he knew the game inside out. Um, you know, incredibly dedicated cricketer. Uh, I know the you know a lot of people see the the blonde hair and the earrings and the you know and all that sort of stuff. Um, that was just him expressing himself. He he wanted to you know. He, he, he had a, had an interest in fashion and interest in that sort of stuff, um, and I think that that was the beauty of that era was there were so many individuals within that team that you know like that had 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 their own personalities and could be themselves. And um, I never had a problem at all with Michael. I, I you know I thought he was a really good player, a good teammate, and you always knew that yeah you know, he would um, he'd try and win the game for Australia and you know immensely competitive guy and. Um, you know, and, and really talented with the ball too, as he showed in that in that test match, um, in the Monkey Gate test match. Uh, being able to, to come on and you know and get wickets for the team, I think he got a six for a test level, which six for know, nine. is unbelievable. Yeah, like unbelievable, really. Um, you know, um, for a batsman of his class to be able to come and do that with the ball as well. Um, great fielder, you know, so many runouts for Australia as well. Um, I imagine good to bat with because good running between the wickets. Turn the strike over. Yeah, absolutely. Always looking to score. Always looking to put pressure on the bat, on the on the bowler, and um, yeah, just a, a real competitive guy, and um, you know, had an unbelievable career for Australia. Absolutely. I hope you're enjoying this men's masterclass. We'll be back with more in a moment. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. 
at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Manners Masterclass. I'm Manners, and I'm joined by Phil Jakes. What about some of the bowlers you faced at the highest level? Sort of, you know, Kumble, Sean Pollock, Lashith Malinga. I mean, who were some of the toughest ones that you came across? Yeah, some really, um, yeah, some good bowlers in that era. Um, I didn't last too long with Sean Pollock. He got me out pretty quickly. Makaya <laughs> um, <laughs> and Tini was was hard work for left-handers. Um, really strange angle. It felt like it was sort of, he was almost bowling it off the pitch and running it across you all the time. And he was very, um, very tough to face. And um, Shane Bond, I, I think he ruined my one-day career. Uh, he was... Um, you know, really, really quick bowler. Uh, had his injury problems and probably didn't play as many games for New Zealand as, as what he could have done. But every time he did, he he uh, he was hard work for for the Australians. He had a great record against Australia, um, and uh, you know swung the both swung the ball both ways at really good pace. Um, incredibly hard to face. Um, yeah, some really good bowlers. Um, over you know, Dale Steyn was a good bowler. Um, yeah, like a mirror Litherin, like I, uh, I scored a, I scored a couple of runs against, like a few runs against him, but um, I think I, I, I think I picked one ball that he bowled. I think genuine, um, and then uh, I played it, and I was like, I'd done so much homework on on reading him, and I felt like, yeah, I've got him now. I've seen it. I've got him. I know, I know which way he's bowling. It. And then he bowled me one that I thought was exactly the same, and I missed it by a foot and a half. And I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> I need to sweep now, um, and I didn't want to sweep because we were playing at the Gabba on a bouncy wicket. But I was like, if I don't sweep, I'm not going to last long here. So um, he was an unbelievable bowler. You could hear the ball fizzing down at you um, when he bowled it. Put so many revs on the ball. Um, but uh, yeah, some really. Who, good, who do you really think had more revs on the ball, Warner or Morley? Yeah, good question. I don't know. Like, um, I only faced Warney in a in a one day game. He was just incredibly smart. Um, I didn't face him on a in a in a longer form of the game, so lucky. Um, thankfully, yeah, uh, I felt like I I tried to line him up about five or six times, trying to hit, trying to get a boundary towards the back of the innings, and he it was like he knew what I was going to do. Um, incredibly smart, um, but the the noise that Mirror Etherin's ball made was yeah, like it was like a spitting cobra at you, and it was like hissing as it was coming down, and I'd never experienced anything like that before. Wow. All right, Phil. Now to to wrap this up, I want to talk about sort of the end of the career, your career, and your your coaching. But b- before we get into that, I don't want to leave off the fact that you scored the highest score on debut by an Aussie in one day international cricket, ninety four. Um, so good day. I remember that innings very well. You came out and just blasted that new ball straight away. Um, so yeah, the, you know, you got that little notch on the belt. Yeah, I think Phil Hughes overtook that. I think a few years later, but at the did time, he? yeah, it was it, yeah he did. Yeah, uh, he got a hundred, I think, on the which was which was amazing as well. And he was a fantastic cricketer as well. And um, yeah, massive loss for for the game mm. um, with what happened with him. But um, but yeah, no, to get ninety four on debut, it was um, yeah, it was an unbelievable feeling. Really, it was really hot. I remember. Um, and we were playing indoors and they shut the roof to, to sort of, I think they try and make it less hot, but I think it made it even hotter. Um, and yeah, like a it was, it was over series. 40. That was a bizarre yeah. series of like a, I think a tie and it was weird. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, we had some really good battles with this, that, that South African team in that in that era, and um, I think it was one of the first games at the, you know, at, at the now 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 is Marvel Stadium um, at the time, and yeah, it was um it was one of those games where I just felt like yeah I felt like I could I could I could hit the ball where I wanted to. I was in, I was in the complete zone. I felt really focused, and um, and then ended up getting getting given out off my back shoulder. Um, a bouncer, I, uh, I actually Still didn't dirty. hit it, and uh, yeah, the umpire actually apologised to me straight after. He he just went, oh, "I think I stitched you up there, mate." And he was a guy that I, I knew from county cricket. He was a um, an English umpire, and he goes, "Oh, I think I I just watched the footage back, and I think I stitched you up there." And I was like, "Never a nice thing, <laughs> never a nice thing to <laughs> say did. straight after you get out." No, but, no, but, uh, but yeah, no, um, Is that- but yeah, like unbelievable. Yeah, so, so you know, you, you spoke about Jason Gillespie scoring 200 in his last test match. Well, I mean, you have the distinction of your last test innings was 108. And I, I'm gathering when you sort of walked off, you probably had no idea that would be your last test innings. No, no, not at, not at all, really. I, I felt like I'd, I'd done enough to sort of establish my, my spot. Um, I'd had a bit of a lean run in, in the West Indies and or a bit of a slow start to that series, but finished the the series with a 70 and a hundred and I think maybe a 40 as well. Um, and yeah, like I felt like I'd, I'd done enough to, to establish my place, but fortunately when I came around to India, I, I had a nickel in my back. Um, and Simon and Simon Kadic had come off an unbelievable shield season. And he also made a hundred in that, in that test match as well. And, um, you know, replacing Matt Hayden, who was, who was injured at the time. And then Matt Hayden had to come back in and, um, they they decided they uh, they that, that they wanted to give Simon the opportunity and um, you know and I, I I to be honest I think like my back wasn't there anyway I I did enough to get on the tour but the, the travel had flared it up and it, it got worse by sitting on the sidelines and actually not being up and up and around and moving and by the second test I was home uh, getting back surgery and. Um, you know, like I think by the end of that second test, so yeah, I'd, I'd find out, and that was it. Never played again. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a really strange one. I, I didn't think that that would be my last at all. But when you're out for eleven months, a lot of people catch up, and a lot of people go past you. And um, you know, that was unfortunately what happened with my back. And uh, I did play my last test match and got a hundred in that game. Went out on top, Phil. I like it. And the same with first class cricket in 2014 in your last match, 77 and 79 in your last match. So, you know, although you sort of clearly were battling through, I mean, it, it actually sounds really debilitating what you had to go through and the fact that, um, you know, you see players now playing, you know, into their late 30s, but you really just, that was never an option for you. So, um, yeah, went out on top. Great career. Congratulations. I mean, you know, it's a fantastic story. Um, you know, a boy from the south of Sydney rising to the top level, um, you know, doing it all, all around the world. I mean, it is, you know, congratulations. Um, so you should be immensely proud of um, what you've achieved. Um, and But then you decided to move into coaching. You know, what, what was it you sort of said, you're talking about career, you'd always been interested in. What is it that you like about, you know, mentoring and coaching? Yeah, well, I ended up giving giving the cricket away because I got offered an opportunity to to step into coaching. Um, you know, I was, as you said, I was playing good cricket at that point and was enjoying it. Um, but I, the reason I was in England was to develop my coaching, and then I got an opportunity to come back and be 
a pathways coach with New South Wales and and their batting coach. So it was a, it was an opportunity I couldn't really refuse, and they needed me right then. They you know they it was in July when I interviewed for the role, and that was my last season with Nottingham. I'd, I'd actually arranged to have a mid-season break to go home and do that interview because I knew that was coming up. And um, and then they offered me the job and that, so I, I called curtains on my career um, to, be, to be able to take up that job. And yeah, the thing about coaching on our live was, is just, um, you know, to be able to help others get better and, and be able to impart whatever knowledge I've, I've picked up along the way on, on the next level and see them be able to play out their dreams and be able to, you know, achieve what they want to achieve within the game. And that's something that I'm still really, really passionate about. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm now, I'm now working in, in my academy to, 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 to do that with, with really young, with the younger kids um, as opposed to professional players. But um, I still enjoy working with elite players. I, I love my time with Queensland and, and with New South Wales as well. Um, you know, helping, helping those professionals become, better players and better people along the way and, and hopefully have have given them some sort of um, positive impact uh, on their careers. And, you know, that's all I can really ask for. And, um, you know, and that's, you know, that's why I'm in the game. Well, I um, I used to do a lot of holiday coaching as well. There's a former England international, Barry Knight, that used to run a lot of camps in Sydney. So I used to work with yeah. a lot of kids in the holidays like you're doing now. And it is very satisfying. It's very rewarding to be at that sort of, you know, that just base level where they just love the game, they just want to hit balls, you know, it, it is actually, you know, it feeds the soul almost. Yeah, absolutely it does. And, you know, like I'm working with kids from from the age of seven right up until adults and, you know, to be able to have that broad range of of, um, of people coming through my doors, it, they have their own challenges and their own, um, you know, times in their lives where you're, you know, you're, you're navigating different things along the way, personally off the park as well as at cricket. And, yeah, to see them sort of be able to be able to learn a skill for the first time and then be able to hone that skill and, and take their games to another level, you know, as they sort of get in that 12, 13-year-old age group and then, and then be able to guide them when they're a bit older, when, you know, the hormones are racing and be able to, um, you know, having, having all sorts of distractions off the park and keep them focused on their cricket and, and show them that there's a light at the end of the tunnel um, and that they can actually make something of themselves within the game of cricket if they want to do that um, is great. And and if they don't want to be professional athletes, and you know they can they can still enjoy their cricket more by by getting that coaching and um, and being the best version of themselves and and being you know the best players they can be. And you know that's that's what I get up for in the morning. That's what I love doing. And it's just great to see smiles on the faces when they when they hit a shot for the first time or. Or um, you know, or or improve a, a shot that they've been struggling with for a long time. Yeah, you're right about it, whether they go on with cricket or not, but it's just great for young kids to have that sort of, you know, learn about you know what it is to practice and you know all the sort of you know take advice and you know they can apply that into any sort of path they go into. Um, you know, you so you're the New South Wales head coach um, from 2018 to 2022. Won a Marsh One Day Cup and a Marsh Sheffield Shield, uh, but then you were let go at the end of 2022 after a disappointing start to this current season. I, I guess from your point of view, what were the challenges that led to your sacking? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of challenges with you know, in the in the head, uh, in the head coach position. Um, 
you know, I've had a little bit of time to think about it and we weren't far away in those games. Um, there was a few circumstances with conditions and, um, you know, a few players were out of form at the wrong time that were key players within our team. Um, and, um, you know, a few of our younger guys probably just took a little bit longer than what they would normally to, to really establish themselves within a the team. And um, that ultimately led to led to my dismissal. And, you know, I, I don't have any hard feelings at all um, to New South Wales cricket. Um, you know, they've, they've given me everything throughout the course of my career and even post-career, giving me opportunities to coach there. And, you know, I, I can only wish them all the best. And, you know, I, I, you know I, as far as from a coaching perspective, I don't have too many regrets um, with that. Um, you know, there were, there's a few things I would have done differently going forward, but, um, but you know, it's, you live and learn in this game and, um, you know, it is, it is a fickle game and it, and it moves really fast. And as you said, we had lots of success. We made finals in every year that I, that I was there, um, you know, in one form or the other, um, won a couple of titles and had some real success, um, and, uh, yeah, we had a slow start to the year and then we still didn't, you know, really, really have a great back end of the year after I was gone either. So I think that, you know, there needs to be some change there and there needs to, you know, be, you know, some better performances for a state the size of New South Wales should be performing really well and we should be producing players that are playing for Australia. And I think the talent's there. Um, and I think, I don't think we've got the wrong personnel. I think, um, they just need a little bit of luck and a little bit of self-belief, and I think they'll they'll turn things around there. I'm curious about your point of view, but I've had you know some great former New South Wales cricketers on this podcast, and had a really good chat with Gavin Robinson last year, and he spoke about sort of players taking real responsibility for their own game, and that you know at some point when you go out there, the onus is on you, and you have to work out you know how you're going to perform at that highest level. And, you know, was it frustrating for you that, you know, the players you were working with couldn't quite get there? Yeah, I mean, it is it is frustrating when when, you, when you're not quite kicking along, I guess, and you're not feeling that, um, that belief uh, and that expectation. I think I spoke about with that Australian team that, that I played in. There was an expectation and, um, and a standard that was set that, it was your job to to win this game and you were the most important person in the team, no matter who you were. And when you had the bat or the ball in your hand, it was your job to, to get the job done, um, not leave it up to somebody else. And I guess there was that, that little feeling of, you know, starting to take that, but then not really running with it and, and winning games of cricket. Um, you know, there were so many games where we'd set the game up beautifully and done the hard work and just didn't quite, uh, cash in, you know, mm. and I, I talk about, I talk about a batter, you know, batters within the team, you know, once you've, once you've broken the game open, like take your seat at the, at the, all you can eat buffet and don't keep let it going. go and just keep going. And, and, you know, there's no amount of runs that's enough. And uh, I think that's probably one aspect that, that, that it needs to be, um, I don't know if you can teach it or it needs to come from within. I think it probably needs to come from within. Um, and I think, you know, I think a, a lean period of time will will breed that. I think, you know, there'll be there'll be players that will that will stand up and they will say, right, not on my watch. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that I that I'm gonna be the one that's gonna pull us out of um, out of a dark spot. 
Yeah, and this is not a comment on um, effort levels, but I do think that generationally we're at a different spot. So, uh, so going back to when you came in the game, if if Steve Waugh was getting out to the same shot, he'd just say, "All right, I'm going to put that shot away, and I'm uh, for as long as it takes, and I'm going to stay out in the middle." And I feel like this generation, you know, they're brought up with T20 cricket, and you know, you've got to dominate and keep the scoring going. That you know, they keep getting out the same ways and not like, okay, well, if I'm going to just keep, you know, edging these flashy cover drives to gully, I'm going to put that shot away for the season so I can average 40 plus at first class level. I can work it into the nets, but when I'm ready, you know, I'm not going to pull it out because, you know, that's what I need to keep my spot. Yeah, or put it away for an hour when the conditions aren't in your favour. And mm. um, I think there was, yeah, there was a little bit of, little bit of oh, I'm good enough to be able to play these shots on whatever surface and whatever time and and then you know the the bad results or the 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 average results start to pile up and then and then it's like oh I, I actually don't know how to do this now and I don't have the belief anymore and um, as opposed to just saying all right I'm, I'm going to be single-minded to to put away a drive for an hour or two or I'm not going to play a pull shot because I get out playing a pull shot regularly, um, you know, and, and having and, and having that, that that peace of mind and and I guess that egoless mentality where you're where you're just saying, you know, what I know I can play that shot, but I'm just not going to play it now. And um, you know, I think there's definitely you know whether it's a generational thing or a, or a team thing, I think there's there's definitely something to be said around that with with the team that that I was coaching there. Um, but it isn't uncommon around around um, other teams around the country as well. There are a lot of players now with with the T20 and and the way that the junior formats and um, junior cricket is being run around Australia that they they don't know how to bat time. They don't know how to score long innings and and have that peace of mind to say, you know what, I, I can play these shots, but I'm not going to play them at this phase of the game. I'm going to bring it in in after lunchtime, you know, and have the confidence that you will be there at after. You'll be there at lunchtime to be able to cash in, mm-hmm. um, and know that you'll catch them up as the day wears on. And and that was that was definitely the mentality when I played, and the players that I played with along in in that era um, around their four day cricket, and had a lot of success doing that. Certainly, well, there's going to be big big pressure on New South Wales, the New South Wales team next summer, I think, to bounce back. Um, I guess. Phil, thanks so much for joining me on Cricket Unfiltered, this Menas Masterclass interview. It's been so great to talk to you. You know, you talked about your Pro Cricket Academy. You know, what is what else is on the horizon for you? Yeah, I'm just doing bits and pieces at the moment. Um, you know, open to do little, little, little coaching stints wherever uh, that is, and um, you know, whether that's in Australia or or overseas for short periods of time. Um, I've got a young family in Australia. That's uh, you know, my priority is them, and I want to be um, in in Sydney and in and around um, in and around my family for uh, for the next few years at least, anyway, and until they're a bit older and you know and um, and are able to you know to to sort of deal without their dad being there for for twenty four seven. But yeah, like I'm really enjoying the academy stuff, and um, you know, like I'm I'm loving helping helping the local kids in, in and around, um, you know, the Sutherland area and around Sydney. I've got a few people coming from around Sydney and from different parts of Sydney to come and get the coaching under me. And, um, yeah, I'm enjoying um, imparting some of the things that I learned along the way to, to that generation and helping them be able to achieve their dreams. That's what I'm, that's what I'm in the game for. 
Oh, well, it's well, best of luck with it, Phil. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been so great to talk to you and go through your career. Congratulations. It's phenomenal achievements in there and, um, you know, so thrilled to talk to you about them. Thank you. Thanks, Menace. Thanks for having me on, mate. This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.